Hello there, church. Welcome to our gathering online. We are so glad that you decided to join us here today. I want to get us settled in, so I'm not sure where you might be watching or how uh, you are trying to engage with us, whether you're at home or uh, in a place of business or restaurant. But I'd love for you to just take a deep breath and get settled in. And I want to read a scripture. It's going to be on the screen for you, but I want to read this to us and let this scripture wash over us today. Many of you use your Sunday as a day of rest. Others of you try to mix rest and catching up on other things. And then others of you just have to go to work today. So let's take a deep breath. Um, Let's let this scripture from Matthew 11, 28 through 30, uh, settle us into this gathering. So All right, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you, but that is what I want to experience with you, whether in person or online, when we have a chance to see each other and when the church is functioning as Jesus intended for it to function. So today I want to welcome you. If you are new to our church, you can go to our app. You can download that in whatever platform, whether you're iPhone or Android in the app store, you can download our app. And in that app, there's a get connected button. We'd love for you to um, go there, give, share with us your information so we can follow up with you, help you get connected. Others, uh, other ways you can just email us. Um, there's an email address on the screen for you where you can get help at Gallery Church uh, or gcbdowntown.com. We would love to help you get connected. I also want to invite you, our online audience, for those of you watching during our 1030 premiere, we're also doing a live in-person gathering um, at 1030 as well. And we'd like to bring both our live audience and our online audience together at around 1130. Uh, You might get there a little quicker than our live gathering, but there will be a waiting room for you. But we want to bring both audiences together for a time of the Lord's table together, as well as a time to ask questions about what we are being taught so that there is no confusion about how we go and put it into practice. So we want to invite you to our Zoom lingering that will air at 1130 or approximately there after uh, where we can join both our online and in-person off, uh, audience together. I also just want to say as we get ready um, to take an offering together, our Father in Heaven is generous and he wants us to be generous. And we want to continue to talk about the things that matter to our Father in Heaven so that they become what matter to us. And so we have a prayer that we all say together each week before we give and before we set our hearts to give as a way of centering on the desires of our Father's heart. So would you say this prayer out loud with me as I say it with you? Father in heaven, there is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and am belong to you bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. To spend everything on myself and to give without sacrifice is the way of the world that you cannot abide. 
But generosity is the way of those who call Christ their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who understanding the delusion of riches that chokes the word, whose hearts are in your kingdom and not in the systems of the world. I am determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. I am determined to be trustworthy with such a little thing as money that you may trust me with true riches. Above all, I am determined to be generous because you, Father, are generous. It is the delight of your daughters and sons to share your traits and to show what you are like to all the world. Amen. Thank you for praying that with me. And if you would, would you take time now? I want to encourage you to take time now, either giving through the app or online, or you can take time to drop a check in the mail to our post office box. But it is a joy for us to come together and leverage all of our gifts and talents, as well as our resources to see the kingdom of God breaking through here in Baltimore. I also want to share with you today that my good friend, Leon Pinkett, who's a pastor uh, here in Baltimore as well, has served our city in helping uh, represent many of our under-resourced neighborhoods. And he is blessing me by helping teach this week on the, uh, on how we can nurture a culture of goodness focused on grace and truth. And so today I know you're going to be encouraged um, and I pray that you today pray for my good friend, Leon Pinkett, because God is using him in a mighty way here in Baltimore. And, uh, and I want our church to help sustain him. I want to have his back. I want to ask that the Lord use us to protect him and keep he and his family safe as they serve the Lord faithfully here in Baltimore. So you'll hear from him in just a few minutes. Thank you for joining us here online. Welcome to week two of our seven-week series, A Culture of Goodness. A church's culture matters. We believe that as we live in a culture, our culture begins to live in and into us. How we understand and feel about our Father in Heaven is formed and fostered by the church we attend. We're searching for truth and inspiration for how we talk about Jesus as Lord of all and how we are to live good lives that announce the good news of Jesus Christ. There are good guys and bad guys, and the bad guys, using illegitimate methods, are trying to bring about an evil state of affairs. This can only be averted if the good guys mobilize their forces, recruit people from the sidelines who are in danger of being seduced by the bad guys, and press forward to glorious victory. Roger C. Shank the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus Christ. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. John to the early church.
Praise the Lord. This week's lesson is a continuation of our study on the topic of forming a goodness culture. A culture that is reflected in a body of believers that have embraced while yet daily pursuing the tove or good way of life that is and was so consistently and so passionately and so sacrificially modeled by he who is the very embodiment of Tov, Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ who in John chapter 10 boldly declares as if his ministry wasn't sufficient proof. He sets the record straight by saying, I am the Tov. Well, Jesus didn't say it quite that way, but choosing the more gentle approach, he declares Don't get this twisted. The thief cometh not but for the steal and to kill and to destroy. But I come my my whole purpose for coming, my whole reason for leaving the comforts of my heavenly estate, for saying yes to a cup which no man could drink, for saying yes to a sacrifice that no man could make, for saying yes to experiencing separation from he who is goodness, my father was for the purpose that you, not me, but that you might live and that you would not just live, but but that live according to the dictates and mandates, the, the vital signs of a world on life support, but that you might live a good life, a tove life, a life that is a life that's more abundantly, a life that's full of abundance, of peace, a life that's full of the abundance of joy, a life that's full of the abundance of blessings. And Jesus can be so bold to make that declaration because in verse 11 in John 10, he can say, I am the good shepherd because the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus is the tove. And because he is the tove, any church, not the architecture, any church, not the accoutrements, Any body of believers must be created by him with his goodness in mind to accomplish his will and to advance his agenda in the earth according to his divine plan. But how does this happen? I mean, we don't simply chisel our way into being a Tove church. Instead, a Tove church is formed, it's fashioned, it's designed into a masterpiece from a people submitted and pliable to the careful and capable hands of the master. I would imagine this verse is pretty popular around here, uh, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Second Timothy chapter two, verses 20 and 21 read, but in a great house, they are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto, guess what? Every good work. A Tove church is not constructed by grit and determination, but fashioned by love. A Tove church is at its heart a reflection of what it looks like when the creative goodness of the Holy Spirit is unleashed. 
Holy Spirit unleashed. That's the essence of Tov. Taking that which was empty and formless, a shadow of its expected self, and making it something to which God and only God and ultimately man will even declare, that's good. That's Tov. And if the Bible is at its essence a thesis detailing the expanse of the goodness or Tov of God, then the New Testament forms its defense. For without he that is good and is unable to be anything but good and has been good from the beginning and will remain good throughout eternity, who is so good that he is desirous to share the abundance of his goodness with a creation fallen out of goodness, all we would have is news. A story with no redeeming message, a conflict with no hero, a drama with no denouement. My, my daughter taught me that word, I'm trying to be fancy. Or this tying of loose ends. All our loose ends frayed from sin would be suspended in an animation, just hanging in need of a mender, a restorer, a unifier. First Timothy 2 verse 3 says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. God is tov and God does tov. And any church that desires to be tov will have to be in like manner, be not just faithful hearers of tov, but eager doers of tov. You see, God is faithful to his promise of tov. Just Joshua chapter 21, verse 44 reads, and the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he swear unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And listen to what God thinks of Tov. There failed not uh, of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All of God's told, all of his goodness, all of his promises of goodness came to pass. Not only is God good, but he pursues us with his goodness. Listen to the words of a Tove recipient. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God relentlessly and tenaciously chases us with Tove. As a merchant of goodness, he dares us to sample his wares. He says to us, oh, taste and see that the Lord is Tove. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. But how does one, let alone a church, achieve this place of Tove, this good life, where goodness is not a momentary respite, but a place where we abide? In his letters to the persecuted believers in the provinces of the northern part of Asia Minor, Peter, in his first epistle, relays a challenging message to a people who were constantly under the heat of oppression from without while warding off the eternal internal threats of heretics from within. In a few words, Peter says to his cold laborers, the world is watching. And no different now than then. The world is still watching. What is it watching for? Looking for goodness, but never really wanting the sacrifice that goodness requires. So Peter says to them, and I believe he says even to us, I know 
that this is a difficult situation. I know that your faith is being tried, but there's rewards for you and glory for our God if you can just persevere. Peter goes on to remind them that they are holy and set apart unto God. He lets them know that they are a witness unto God. He gives purpose to their pain, revealing the fruit that it shall bear. But within this first epistle, almost hidden, Peter gives a little nod. At least I believe it's a little nod or a glimpse of insight into what is this goodness? And so here when Peter is talking to these believers, persecuted, challenged, these believers who are under the heat of oppression, Peter gives them some hope. He gives them some assurance. He gives them some balance to what they are experiencing. And so Peter says in first Peter, chapter three, verses one through seven. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. And I know I know my wife is probably watching right now. So I'm not even going to go down this road, but I want you to I, you got to go through this with me to get to where I think Peter is just trying to share a little bit of insight into us that about what is at the core of a Tove culture or what is at the essence of a Tove church. Uh, verse four, he says, but let it be hidden, uh, be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Verse five, for after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him little L, Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. But I say all that to say I wanted to get to verse seven to, to hear what Peter is saying to us even today. Because Peter says, likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Peter essentially says that there are differences between men and women that I cannot dispute, but there is something that overrides any differences in gender, physicality, race, income, intellect, function, you name it. The great equalizer is grace. Peter in verse seven calls it the grace of life. And I'm thinking Peter may have had a flashback to his declaration in the defense of the centurion Cornelius in Acts 10, verse 34, where he says, then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth. I perceive that God is no respecter of person, but in every nation, he that feareth him and work of righteousness is accepted with him. And it sounds a lot like told to me. Peter recognized that his this grace that is connected with eternal life is available to all who would believe and makes us joint heirs equal in stature and status before a good God. And Peter's illustration, this new life and new hope had been conferred on both, making them heirs together of all of the blessings of this life and the one to come, that this relationship with God should dictate the quality of their earthly relationships. So serious is our acknowledgement and valuing of the grace of God extended to the life of another that our very communication 
Our prayer life with God is impacted. A Tove church becomes a vehicle of this because in the hands of God, a Tove church becomes a place that offers the grace that brings life to others. Titus 2 and 11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation have appeared to all men. And for the world, that appearance is often experienced in the life and the habits, the culture of a people committed to Tove. Becoming a Tove person and especially a Tove church places one in the crosshairs of Satan and his demons and his imps, the world systems and even the tear that grows with the wheat. So maintenance of a Tove culture requires vigilance to resist the decline into a power based, fear inducing, exploitive culture that no longer offers the grace of life, but rather as one author would say, the bones of death. In order to resist such a culture, we must understand how to build and sustain a life-giving culture of grace. So how do we do that? Well, I thought you'd never ask, but we first have to know that, or what is the substance of a Tove church that is full of grace? What makes up a Tove church full of grace? What is the substance? What is the foundation of a Tove church that is a personification of the grace of God. That substance is found in the realization that grace-filled goodness begins in forgiveness. It forms into freedom and it resists fear. Let me say it again. Grace-filled goodness begins in forgiveness, forms in freedom and resists fear, all because it knows that God's design for the church is love. First John 4, 18 says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment and he that feareth is not made in perfect love. Writer John M. G. Barclay writes, grace is a multifaceted concept best approached through the category of gift. Gift denotes the sphere of voluntary personal relationships characterized by goodwill and the giving of benefit or favor and the Eliciting, eliciting some form of reciprocal return that is both voluntary and necessary for the continuation of the relationship. So a grace-filled culture or a grace-filled church is a gift-filled culture or a gift-filled church. <laughs> Sounds delightful, doesn't it? I mean, who doesn't want to be in a gift-filled, grace-filled atmosphere? But what are the mechanisms? What are the machinations of such an environment? First and foremost, someone has to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In this case, God is the giver and redemption is the gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. No, you can't take credit for this. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. No, it's not of works because surely if it was, we would boast. And we would withhold it from others. This grace is not something that we deserve. It's not something that we could earn. So in grace based culture, the habits and liberality of giving are so demonstrative because we know that we are the chief recipients of God's grace. 
Second, Artov, God decides to give us this redemption, redemption, that being forgiveness. And it's by his grace God has canceled every single one of our debts. In Ephesians chapter one, verses six and seven, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood. That's the forgiveness, that, that removing of the debt, the forgiveness of sins according. He's the only one rich enough to cancel our debts. Third, the giving and receiving of the gift of grace, it creates a bond, not undifferent from Peter's example in marriage. The extension of grace creates a bond between the giver and the recipient. First and foremost, we are uh, rejoined with God, who is the giver. But then we establish bonds with others as we practice this goodliness. How does this happen? It happens because the receiver responds with an action. There is only one appropriate response to the gift of grace that God has extended to us, and that is thankfulness. And thankfulness is not uh, simply a verbal gesture, but thankfulness is exhibited in our praise. Thankfulness is exhibited in our worship. Thankfulness is exhibited in our adoration and our service. The truth be told, as believers, we spend our entire lives living out this thankful response to God's uh, eternal and unmeasurable grace. We are eternally in this dance of thankfulness. How does this happen? It happens because our gift giving God becomes the father of a multitude of brothers and sisters. The gracious gift of God's told It makes us all siblings of one another, which really makes uh, challenging how we see oftentimes the world, not the conflicts between those who don't claim the name of Christ, but the conflicts that are between those who are sons, those are daughters, those who are disciples of one and true only living God, who have only been brought into this family by such a God who is so gracious and merciful and full of toad. We all become equally loved in this family. We all become equally valued members of this body of Christ. No big eyes, no little U's. We are all equal. We should be the model of what equity looks like. The world should get its cues from us because it sees it exhibited um, as brothers and sisters come together, um, valuing and supporting, encouraging, uplifting each other. All in the name of Jesus Christ. How does this happen? It happens because grace is a reverse kind of power that turns um, siblings into a flourishing family reality. Um, This is not a form of family. It is a reality. It is real. It is as real as the the earthly relationships that you have with maybe a brother or a sister or some other sibling. Um, This isn't play cousin. This is you are my brother. You are my sister. Not only are we now family, but the power of grace has the ability to transform us from being God's enemy and strangers to each other, to being true members of this family of God, this new family, this beautiful 
glorious, diverse family of believers who've been adopted um, under the name of Jesus Christ. Lastly, the Holy Spirit is the active agent who turns us from enemies and strangers into friends and family. We are not capable of forming our churches into grace-filled, people-first, tove churches. It's not in us. We don't have that ability. There's nothing in our flesh that would even um, allow for us to achieve what a tove church, a tove culture, a tove environment um, looks like in the eyes of God. Rather, we bring an assortment of inabilities and incompatibilities as well as in, we, we have some gifts that we bring, but they are all uh, insignificant um, as it relates to this union that God is bringing together. But in order for it all to work, we need the Holy Spirit to transcend our abilities and transform us into a flourishing family filled with people first people and givers of grace. What an awesome work of grace. What an awesome display of the power of grace that it could take disparate people and merge them into a glorious family. The writings of Paul make it clear that this is no easy pursuit. Salvation, (laughs) it sounds funny, might be the easier part of this creation of this Tove church, this Tove culture, this Tove environment. Because getting people to learn how to get along is not so easy. Therefore, it should be no surprise that creating a grace based family of siblings requires trust. What some might call the invisible glue that the suture that knits us together, that heals us and makes us whole at the same time. This trust, because it is so essential to the family, the culture is always under attack. As power and fear seek to undermine the trust, this trust that grace so diligently creates. But without trust, one could beg the question, is there or can there even be genuine siblingship? Because to trust someone is to believe in that person in ways that makes not only your world, but makes their world safe. It brings comfort and joy and peace. There's a security that happens under the watchful flag of trust. Sadly, in fear-based power cultures, trust dissolves, it's broken down, um, it's shattered, and it makes life as brothers and sisters nearly impossible. When a collection of siblings um, called the church, because that's what we are, we are a collection of brothers and sisters come together called the church. When we have untrusting relationships, the family structure is broken down. And it doesn't just break down to where uh, individuals are necessarily just independent, but it breaks down and forms things that are apparent to what the family structure really means. It forms into cliques and it forms into tribes and it forms into interest groups because there is something uh, in the nature of man that wants to be joined, wants to be united. And man will create um, something that's perverse in order to experience that. 
But God, through his spirit, wants us to have that trust to come together and be assembled in the family that he's created. Truth be told, this isn't just the church's issue because it happens in marriages and families and communities, organizations and cities. No trust, no community, no trust, no culture, no trust, no grace, no trust, no sharing of gifts. But when siblings, in this case, the church, my brothers and sisters. When we all see ourselves as receivers of God's gift. When we allow ourselves to be transformed by God's grace into equal participants who love and trust one another, nothing less than a grace based culture of freedom will be formed. Um, it, 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 it is the natural progression of God's favor and his trust. And in that environment, freedom creates trust, just as trust creates freedom. There is a uh, reciprocal relationship between the two. While a fear based culture stifles freedom through legalism, authoritarianism, status and approval based relationships, trust unlocks freedom. It it brings it to its full expression. But when fear prevails in a church, there's no love. I read it before, but it begs um, to read again. First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. If there is fear in your culture, if there's fear in the church, if there's fear in your relationship. A mature person has to do an analysis or a measurement or an observation of. What is the level of love that is in that relationship? Because if there is love there, then it is impossible for fear to inhabit the same space. And if there's no love, then there's no forgiveness and then there's no mercy. And, and then there's no desire to create space or room to learn and make mistakes to grow and for forgiveness. But in a Tove culture, in a Tove church, in a culture of grace, as we model love and we practice love and as we share love in this reciprocal relationship between thankful and grateful recipients, we, we create this persistent act of grace um, being shared from one heart to another heart, from one um, soul that's um, been redeemed by Christ to, to another soul that's been experienced God's grace and his mercy. And, and, and in an environment where that happens, you end up with a culture that's full and overflowing with God's grace and his mercy and his love. A culture that God says that is good. That is told. And so I close with this. Because I believe that the psalmist. In his penning of this must have had an inkling of the environment that God was seeking, the culture that God was seeking amongst his people. As the psalmist in Psalm 133 declares, behold, how good. And how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 
He says it's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard and even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. And as the dew of Hermon and as the dew descended upon the mountains of Zion, it's amazing how many things that we desire of God, how many things uh, we desire to see in the earth um, are connected to our culture of grace, are connected to our culture of goodness. Uh, the things that we pray about, the things that we intercede about, the things we read about, the things we long for um, are not necessarily connected to our volume of teaching or our, uh, the, the numbers of preached sermons, but they are within our ability to walk in and embrace the goodness that God desires for us to have in abundance. And even the psalmist picks up on it because he talks about this good and pleasant how good and pleasant is unity. But he talks also about the fruit of that. And he says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing and even life forevermore. How many of us desire to be in a place of God's commanded blessing? How many of us desire to be in a place that's about life and vibrancy uh, where the death angel has been uh, put on hold where the the enemy who ravages our streets, who seeks to kill and steal and destroy, um, is vanquished from our communities. Maybe that for what we seek is found in the Tov. It's found in our embracing, our celebrating, our valuing, a culture of grace and a culture of love. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for you, your eternal word. Because it is a reflection of your eternal covenant and promises to us. Lord, you have never forgotten us and neither have you forsaken us. God, you have never abandoned us, God. God, all you want to do is love us. All you want to do is share your goodness with us. Good God, you want to do it in the context of your family. You want us do it. You want to do it in the context of an environment or in a culture that's full of your goodness and full of your grace. And God, so, oh God, we speak your goodness into the earth, God. We speak that anybody who hears Oh, God, the messages, the teachings on this revolution of culture, God, that, oh, God, will embrace it and walk in this goodness and this grace, God, that you you share with us so freely. And so, God, we thank you today. We thank you for your blessings and we thank you for life. Good life forevermore. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. We want to invite you to respond to the word of God that we just received. We know that he is speaking and working in our hearts. Where in your life has trust been broken? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about what sin is in you?
Where are you being tempted to stop showing grace and love? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? How do we work together to increase our capacity to show grace and love? How do we help each other through the pain of sinful choices of others? Ask the Holy Spirit to minister to you now and help you see what ways you are to serve in our church family to help us display the goodness of God and his love for the city of Baltimore. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit, acknowledge His work in us, and celebrate that we are lavishly loved by our Father in heaven and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, brothers and sisters. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you as the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. It is such a challenge for you and I to walk faithfully as brothers and sisters. We are so easily um, moved towards uh, acts of our sinful nature, uh, jealousy, uh, coveting, uh, um, different types of uh, divisions and anger and violence towards one another. And we need to pursue the goodness of God so that character of his goodness flows through us. So here's our benediction based upon my friend Leon's teaching to us today that I think was so challenging and so encouraging uh, to you and I. And so let's put this into practice. As we go from here today, may we be as gracious with one another as our father was gracious to us through Jesus Christ. And may we increase in trust so that we can excel in love and have a good testimony of a good God that has the power over sin to release us to do the good things he's planned ahead for us to do. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good things he's planned ahead for us to do. Let's join the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in us so that that work can be completed. And may God's grace and peace be with you. Thank you guys so much. Make plans to join us in the Zoom lingering if you can. We'll see you there in just a few minutes.